Hello and welcome to the SBNY Podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy and I am your host. Sports Blog New York Podcast can be found on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, app, as well as Google Play. If you do not do so already, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at SportBlogNYC. And don't forget to rate and review this very podcast by going to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, app, or Google Play. Write a little review, leave some stars, and let us know what you think. Because we love doing this podcast and we love hearing back from our listeners, even more importantly. But today on The Bill, we have a lot to talk about. Because goddamn, Phil Jackson is let go. He's fired. He's parted ways. I don't care what you want to say, but he's gone. And the NBA ain't short of storylines either. But first, how about a little word from our presenting sponsor? Wooter Apparel is the number one shop for custom uniforms and apparel. Has the lowest prices, two to three week turnaround, every sport and any design you can imagine. It's fully customizable team uniforms and apparel. Wooter Apparel empowers teams and athletes around the world by offering the best sublimated uniforms and apparel at unbeatable prices. Check them out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Wooter Apparel and at WooterApparel.com. And best part is, at your purchase, use discount code SBNY for a special discount, and that's discount code SBNY. But all right, without further ado, back with me again. He was here with me post-draft. Check out that podcast for all the NBA draft breakdown you need. But my guest, Joe Calabrese, how you doing tonight? Long time no see. We spent a lot of time together today already, huh? Yeah, we did. We spent a lot of time together the other day, too. That is correct. Uh, you know who didn't? Well, our tenure hopefully lasts longer than uh, Mr. Phil Jackson's tenure, who ended before. Ain't that the truth. Ain't that the truth. We've been doing this podcast, you and I, together now for maybe six months. Yeah. That's a roundabout guess. I'm not really sure. Yeah. We'll give him a little more. A little yeah, maybe maybe eight, maybe ten. But hey. Having a lot of fun, and we're almost we're we're halfway there. Yeah, to getting Phil almost. We need a couple more months in there, and uh, then we're gonna catch him. We're gonna pass him right by. But when we were first meeting up, I remember we talked about Phil. Yeah, we and did. We talked about should he get fired. We talked about is he doing a salvageable job. Yeah. And there's been these fire talks for how long, and now we finally got him. What was your first thoughts? Actually, I want you to enlighten the listener. On how you found out, because you... Oh, I was working last night. You were working overnight. I was you working. found out before most. Explain. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know how anybody else found out about it, but Woj tweeted uh, last night, I want to say around 1.30 in the morning, and it was... I forgot the wording of the tweet, but it said Nick's ownership is considering their future without Phil Jackson. And basically, that is when the dominoes started, and from there it became, does Nick's ownership want to move on to Phil and Dolan, James Dolan, are agreeing to part ways, quote-unquote, eight hours later. Mm-hmm. So that, things escalated pretty, pretty quickly, and I mean, usually that, that's the power of social media. And the I, power of the Woj bomb, let's the be Woj specific. The Woj bomb, but I, I find it interesting because obviously these talks have probably been in ongoing I want probably for a couple of weeks now and you want you want to be even more general you can say for a year and a half right I mean I mean I'm but sure, yes I understand what you're saying yeah I'm sure major companies and organizations have uh, typical discussions especially in sports you always have to have ongoing talks about how you feel the direction of your team is going do you feel uh, your executives? Your people in your high-ranking positions, your scouts, your talent evaluators, are they doing a good job? Are they doing their jobs properly? So I'm sure this isn't the very first time that a Phil has... Been evaluated. Been evaluated, <laughs> but... Though you I'm, don't know. You don't know who's actually doing their curious, job. I'm curious to see when Dolan started becoming sold on this, because as people know, Dolan was the one who pushed for uh, Donnie Walsh years ago to sell off the Knicks better assets to go get Carmelo Anthony in a trade. Oof. So Dolan is a big fan of Melo, and now over the last couple of days, last couple of weeks, we've seen stuff regarding certain players. We've seen the Chris Stapps, Porzingis trades talks. We've seen reports saying that the Knicks, this was before Phil got fired this morning. Not he didn't get fired, they parted ways. This was before Phil left this morning. 
Uh, they mentioned how Derrick Rose was and the Knicks had interest. And then, obviously, the Carmelo stuff will bring it back to him. Yeah. There, there were also so, reports about Melo's camp engaging the Knicks in potential buyout talks. So you wonder, when did this, this, this had to have been something that Dolan has been thinking about, but now, over the last couple of weeks, in regard to certain players, it wouldn't shock me if Dolan, if, if this was the, the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, that he looked at the way Phil was evaluating certain, certain players, uh, not comfortable buying out Melo or waiting till the very bitter end to, so he had no trade value to try to push him out of New York. Now he's looking to re-sign Derrick Rose. He was looking to trade Zing, like Chris Epps for Zingas. There was problems in the organization. You know, which point guard should we take? Should we take Frank Nikina or should we take Dennis Smith? So there, there's a lot of reasons why this escalated as quickly as it did. Now Absolutely. I'm not surprised. You gave a beautiful rundown of what we're going to spend a lot of time talking about on this podcast. Obviously, it's a Sports Blog New York podcast. This is our number one topic today. Phil Jackson, Mello, now, you know, Masai Ujiri becomes one of their number one targets. He was on the winning end of the Carmelo Anthony trade in Denver. He was on the absolute winning end of the Andrea Bargnani trade from Toronto. That was absolute. You can argue that the Knicks still won by getting Mello, because really what have the Nuggets done since they let over to Mello? Nothing. They went to like one or two more playoffs. Besides the point, this is a bunch of stuff we're going to talk about. Joe just gave you an outline, gave you a rundown. But other stuff happened today as well. And before I even get in to the NBA stuff, Chris Paul to Houston. Obviously, like I said, we're going to talk about the Knicks, but there's more Paul George rumors coming out there, more speculation about Gordon Hayward. There's speculation left and right. And one of the most interesting things, which we'll t- give our opinions on later, Phil Jackson gets fired. Big, big deal. One of the underlying storylines here is just hours after he was officially not the Knicks GM and president. A former all-star point guard comes out and says, I would be interested in playing for the Knicks. So all it took was Phil to get released or fired, however the hell you want to phrase it, to get an all-star point guard in Jeff Teague. And yes, I know, I use the word all-star to play him up. It's just Jeff Teague. But goddamn Jeff Teague would be one of the best point guards we've had in the past 15 years. So the fact that he said, I'm interested, just after Phil says, I'm out, it means something. So we'll talk about that as well. But we got to talk about our bougie evening, huh? Yeah, we had a great evening. We had a bougie evening, you very, and I. Very, very bougie. <laughs> it was a fantastic time, actually. So Joe and I, on behalf of Sports Blog New York, were lucky enough to get invited to a very special event at an indoor country club. Yes, that's a real thing. We didn't know either. Uh, where we got to hit some golf balls, talk to some important people, run by Golf Digest and Chase Bank, Inside Access specifically, uh, so we got to go to this fancy-schmancy golf place in the city in Manhattan uh, to get talks from Golf Digest, Tim, Tom Rassaforte, Tim Rassaforte, sorry, and Chris Coma, one of the best golf coaches out there. He actually coached Tiger Woods, yeah, Tiger, Tiger Woods, y'all. So we were hanging out some some big shots, but we had a great time, very welcoming. And shout out to Chase for hooking it up. What do you have to say? I had a, a very good time, and this is coming from a uh, a novice yeah, I'm going to be very generous about that um, in regard to, to golfing and all that stuff. But the the generosity tonight, the hospitality was awesome. There were great mini games. Uh, the the people there were awesome. Very, very bougie. Very friendly to us, but <laughs> hey, very, very wait outgoing. Wait a minute, wait a minute. They might be listening to this right now because, you know, so. we were networking. We were, we were putting our names out there, and they might be checking this out. You don't got to call him bougie. That actually, no, I did it already too. <laughs> no, you know what? They no, were... it was a really, it was a, a very good time. As it, was younger... a very, it was a very classy environment. Like, everybody, but everybody was having know, a good time too. That's no, everybody part. was having a great time, and everybody that we talked to was they were so nice to us, and they were very warm, opening up. Uh, you know, immediately it was so easy to make conversation. Like a lot of times when you when we say like country club, you know, you have the this idea of you know, this, this type of person in your mind. And like, if I say indoor country club in Manhattan, <laughs> then you're probably like, Oh man, oh great. Yeah. You're probably like jacking that up to like a hundred. Uh, but no, it was, it was a really good time. You know what we got though? We got a bunch of hors d'oeuvres <laughs> and some cocktails and I couldn't be happier. Couple I got to drinks. hit some golf balls into a screen, yeah. a bunch of screens. It's a beautiful place. Uh, but yeah, that was cool. We were, we were a little, a little fancy schmancy and I'm not wrong with it. Yep. We had a good time. And guess what we do now? 
But again, we do get to talk about... We talk about basketball. Yeah. <laughs> More basketball. It's the best stuff ever. I mean, let's be real here, too. The NBA offseason is one of the most spectacular times of sports. I, 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 I want to almost liken it, and I don't mean this in a negative way, and I know you specifically won't take this in a negative way, but I could liken it to the WWE in the sense of the drama and the storylines that go on for seasons. You could, like, obviously you call an NBA season, an NFL season, but if you look at a season like a TV show season, right? So characters grow from season to season. More relationships become a part of the show, and it can get better, it can get funnier, it can get more dramatic, whatever you want to, whatever type of show you watch, it's up to you. But the NBA becomes a year-to-year sport. The storylines aren't in one season all the time. So people are all yeah, well, that's know, becoming, bent out of shape with super teams. That's becoming sports in general, I think, a little bit. But now, they're just the storylines are extended for yeah, years and years, and it's a beautiful thing. If you catch a young guy, and you start liking him when he's 22, and all of a sudden, he's 25, he's a good player. Now he's 28, he's an all-star. Now he's 30, you're like, wow, this guy, I've followed his whole career. It's a fantastic thing in the NBA where you can follow a star, not even a team. Right, and the NBA is probably the most star-driven professional league in North America. I would make an argument that the value is solely in your top 15 to 20 players, and then from there you sprinkle on down storyline-wise. I mean, I love the WWE comparison. I think it's hilarious. It's hilarious, and you know know what I mean by it, right? Yeah, I would make a good argument. Um, In recent years, I think the playoffs has become more of a two-round thing. I think once you get to the conference finals, it really starts. And we've seen that for the last two years. Like, last year's conference finals were awesome. It was Golden State, Oklahoma City. People, Cleveland and Toronto. This year was People kind truly of, forget about that, by the way. Right. This year was kind of a little bit of a dud because it was like the Spurs lost Kawhi Leonard and they were in game one, but they were, you know, they had no match in those other games. And despite Cleveland winning in five games, Boston gave them two good games in yeah. in Cleveland. And, that, and they saved that series quick. So... Uh, so in, in recent years, you've seen the, the, the NBA playoffs get kind of shortened a little bit. Like the, the early round games, too many double-digit games. So you can make a really good case that the best time of the NBA year is actually not the end of the season into the well, playoffs. It might be the final two weeks of June leading up to the draft and then the first week of July for free agency. Like that three-week period is probably the most exciting time of the year. Because it's one of those times of the years where every every team is optimistic, every fan base is optimistic, players are on the move, players are coming into the league, there's there's a lot of juicy, gossipy type of rumors, you know, what's going to break next, who's going to make the next big trade, is this team going to move this player, is that team going to get better, you know what I mean? So it's like, now for a casual person, you can put aside, even if you're a bad team, you can put aside the following, se- like the, 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 um, the previous season... And you can put that in the rearview mirror, and it's like your team is relevant again in right. three weeks. Like, the Knicks are relevant in every right. offseason. <laughs> right, the Knicks so are sad. relevant right now more than ever. Maybe that's why we like the offseason so much. It's the only time Knicks fans can, like, have something to care about the offseason. Right. But let's talk about a guy who's obviously, I'd say they're 1A and 1B in story, news storylines today. And one was Phil Jackson, and one was Chris Paul to the Rockets. So let's talk about Chris Paul to the Rockets. And that trade included Lou Williams. It included Patrick Beverly, Sam Decker, a Houston first-round pick, and obviously Chris Paul to Houston. So Chris Paul's uh, storyline of his career has some arcs and some valleys. I think he was a really lovable guy early in his career, and slowly but surely in Los Angeles for the Clippers, he kind of got more and more hate, I think deservingly so a little bit. Um, Personally, my, my appreciation of him has changed and got to worse rather than it was when he was, say, in New Orleans. But that's besides the point. Now he's changing again to Houston. He's joining James Harden. What was your initial reaction, and how do you think this works for Houston? I don't think it works for Houston. I think it works. You have to look at this trade from a certain perspective. It's like last year the Rockets were a 50-plus win team, right? Right off the bat, how many wins do you think Chris Paul adds? Does he add a couple wins? Sure he does, probably. But does this move the needle in regard to competing with the top teams in the West. So they can they compete with Golden State, with Chris Paul on the fold, and a little bit of less depth? I don't know. I would argue that their depth is what is one of the very few things that sets them aside and allows them to even remotely kind of come even close to playing with a team like Golden State. Because Golden State has the Super 4 and a couple of really solid shooters off the bench, 
but it's Houston's depth with Eric Gordon and Patrick Beverly and James Harden and Ryan Anderson, Ryan Danae, Anderson Clint Capella. Right, I mean, they go Clint down. Capella became a very nice, solid starter this year. So it's like if you're if you're going to try to beat Golden State, you have to do this. You have to play to your strengths. I don't think going out and getting an aging point guard who the Clippers organization, as you said before we started this podcast, may have been petrified of giving him a full five-year contract. I would have been. I where Chris Paul, his meniscuses. His meniscus. His menisci. I think it's... <laughs> I feel like... I, I sincerely don't know the plural of that. That's funny. Let's go meniscus. I like meniscus too. <laughs> we don't know how his meniscus are doing, right? He's clearly... Doesn't have knee problems, but he's got some tread on the tires. He's got wear and tear on his knees. My thing is we should... When, when did we not learn from giving Kobe... A, a five years, right? Granted, they deserve it. Yeah, I, mean, I get it. They deserve it's like it. A it's like a lifetime. It's a lifetime achievement contracts. It's like the more you you get older, the more like it, it, it's crazy how the CBA works because it's a players' league and it plays into their hands. And it's like these players, even though they're aging and even though they're getting, they even though they're in their twilight and they're coming out of their primes and they're getting into the old man phase of the game, they're still getting paid a tremendous amount of money. Like Dwayne Wade has all the power in the world. He signed a two-year deal with like Chicago, and he had a pretty solid season by Dwayne Wade standards last year. Sure, he was a pretty solid three-point shooter. Nearby sixty games played, and it was like he he can opt out and get twenty million dollars again. And it's like obviously the escalating cap makes this like these contracts sound ridiculous, but it's like in what world is Dwayne Wade that kind of player anymore with, that he can get that kind of money? And it's, it's the same way I feel with Chris Paul, and it's like I don't like Chris Paul getting that money, and I don't like the fit. Because not only do I like the depth players... Well, he didn't get the money yet, by the way. No, I know, but he he's going to get the money. Oh, he, Houston is smart Maybe they what they've three, shown. Maybe they give him a three-year contract. Maybe they're taking a one-and-done flyer on him. So I want to go to Twitter, actually, because okay, I, I got some feedback on Twitter about this. I sent out a tweet just to give you the context of some of the replies. So I wrote, and I guess it almost agrees with you, I said, I don't like CP3 to the Rockets at all. James Harden was a better point guard all last season. Unless CP3 takes a secondary role, this can go bad. A hundred percent. So that's I, how I feel. We were, you know, we were, we were, we were going to get to that. I was going to. My next point was on court fit and how does it fit. So. So let me read you two tweets I got from some followers and one guy at Jake Dewitt show. He said they're not financially tied to CP beyond 2018. If it doesn't work, cut ties. Don't think they'll miss Beverly Decker Williams in our late first rounder. Mm. He makes a really valid point. Uh, I, you're not gonna miss them, but you're gonna miss them collectively. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So if you lose Patrick Beverly, it hurts. He brings toughness. He brings some grit. Right. He brings great defense. He was all defensive team. That he is has some streaky scoring. You have to stop like doing that. Like what? Like, spoiling everything I'm, like, I'm about to say that I have on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> but you said, do you understand what I mean? So yes. I'm like, yes, and you made me excited. Right. You know, we actually happen to agree on a lot of stuff here, which may not make for the best, but if we're right, we're right. We are right. So I don't care. We're clearly right. But no, you make a good point because you miss P-Bev a little bit, but you miss P-Bev, Lou Will, and Sam Decker a lot. You think Chris Paul can, you know, make up for that. But the encore fit is where it gets a little tricky, and that's why I think at Jake DeWitt show, my my buddy Jake made a really good point of why they're not going to miss him that much, especially if they lose CP3. Because you know what Daryl Morey does? Shoots his shot. Right. So if CP3 does well, he'll think about giving him a reasonable contract. If CP3 isn't what he wanted, he will not re-sign him, and he'll take a bigger swing next year. Right. I my My biggest concern with this is that there's there's going to be a good chance that he plays well, right? Yeah. I mean, he will play well. It no, depends what it well. leads to. On on the court, how does this work? Because our Twitter followers are very astute observers. They understand that, number one, how do you play Paul and Harden together on the offensive end? More importantly, how do you play them together on the defensive end? Like, it's a... Now, see, that's not what I'm. That's the least of my worries. I think that's a disaster waiting to happen. I think there are two turnstiles. I well, Chris Paul, his best attribute is defense. I understand that, but he's aging, and him aging and putting him next to a guy like James Harden, who 
doesn't really play much defense to begin with. See, like in, in LA, you had Reddick next to him. And like not so much of a difference, but it's like I kind of think Reddick is a little bit of a better defender than Harden. Well, he definitely, you know, works better at it and hundred percent. Like he plays his, he I plays his role. And he I works think it's entirely it. noticeable. But I think James Harden also was much better last year than the year before on defense. It could be a fair point. But listen. I don't have those stats off the top of my head, so I couldn't tell you. I'm way more worried about... I'm not worried about the offense, because they're going to score, but right. it comes down to the meaningful moments. I personally don't think Chris Paul is very clutch. He has had clutch, some clutch moments. I, I think, think he doesn't like to shoot it all that much in the clutch. And you know, if you listen to this podcast, you've heard me talk about Chris Paul. You've heard me say this before. I think he is too ball dominant. I think even James Harden was a better point guard than him last year. James Harden made his teammates better than Chris Paul made the Clippers last year. And it's because of willing ball movement. So what it boils down to for me is not so much Chris Paul and James Harden. It's Mike D'Antoni. Can Mike D'Antoni, coach of the year, let Chris Paul buy in? Not let, make Chris Paul buy in to his system and make him willingly move the ball if it's not going to lead to an assist. Make him just start the offense. Make him move without the ball. Because James Harden is better than Chris Paul. And I have absolutely no qualm saying that. I don't think anybody else should. So James Harden needs that ball. He was already a better point guard after one season playing point. Right. Chris Paul needs to take a secondary role, and he can be a magician for this team. He can let James Harden rest. Mm. But if he tries to take over and be Chris Paul from the Clippers, you're going to see James Harden take a backup role, and he was this runner-up for the MVP, which Chris Paul never even sniffed. And you're going to see Ryan Anderson not become as efficient, and you're going to see, actually, you know what, you'll probably see Nene and Clint Capella still roll pretty well because Chris Paul can run a mean pick-and-roll. No, but, he can. But James Harden should be the guy. Yeah, absolutely, he should be the guy. Um, my biggest, my other biggest concern is that offensively, they don't skip a beat. They score 140 a game. But like, if they play Golden State... Like, Golden State's going to win, like, 185 to, like, 150. You know what I mean? So it's, how many more games are they going to win? How many more points are they going to score per game? Yeah, they'll score 10 more points a game. Yeah, they'll win three or more games, uh, three or more games, per, you know, on average next season. But what is, like, does this really, really move the needle in regard to their championship hopes? Like, is this exactly what they needed? I don't think so. so I, just think, I just think you're reshuffling the deck chairs on the Titanic. I think you make a good point, but here's the counterpoint to that. Daryl Morey's not done yet this offseason. Oh, I know. He's, Darryl, he's, very, he's very slick. And this is a perfect segue because right before we hop back to the Knicks and talk about Phil and Mello and all that, we have you know a couple topics just to touch on, and then we're going to go hardcore on the Knicks and Phil and Neil Aquina and the whole nine over there in Madison Square Garden. But right before that, we just need to talk about the names like Paul George, which apparently Houston's very interested in. Obviously, Melo even comes up now because that is a possible landing spot if somehow that gets agreed upon. And you know how I feel about Melo and the trade clause. So Paul George, in play for the Rockets, in play for the Cavs, maybe not as much for the Lakers before the end of his contract, Celtics are still there. Who do you think Celtics, Cavs, Rockets make the biggest splash free agency slash trading? If we're going trade, I mentioned this again uh, the other night with the Celtics and how their not trades have really hurt them so far. But it came out this week that their main plan is to go after Gordon Hayward at free agency first and to give him a max contract and then sign, uh, not sign, uh, to trade for Paul George because then they would be able to do that and fit them both in if they make the first move first. So. I can't hate that logic, right? Right. Uh, because Gordon Hayward will be a huge improvement over Jay Crowder at the three. Ugh, every facet. Right. Gordon Hayward is arguably the most underrated player in the NBA. You talk about a few guys who Are consistently get better year in and year out. He is absolutely top on that list. Him, I mean, Giannis has been in less. And he could do it all. He can... He's a good passer. Yeah. He's a good defender. He's a good teammate. More, he can shoot. He, he can, can drive. Shoot, he can shoot. He can drive. He can stop on a dime and take a, a 15 to 18 footer. You know, he's 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 legitimately, I know this is going to sound like kind of egregious, but he doesn't really have a hole in his game. 
he's one of those types of players who does who who does everything good. I don't necessarily know if he's got one great attribute, but he does everything very good. I think this is his this best is across attribute. The board. His best attribute might be getting to the line. Like low key, he gets to the free throw line. And he's efficient. Because if you see if you see Jazz and I'm actually a weirdo who watches the Jazz, he gets to the line game in, game out. And if his shot's not falling, you're like, wow, Gordon Hayward's not having a great game. And then you realize he's 8 for 9 from the free throw line and he's got 20 points. And you're like, oh, solid game. He has also has 6 rebounds and 6 assists. Nice little game for Gordon. And you didn't even realize he was he was making plays. So he's always there. He's always making the right plays. He will help Boston a lot. And he's a guy who can guard the best wings in the league at least for a little bit of a time. And that's what we talked about last week with Josh Jackson and why we liked him over Tatum because dominant wings who are physical end up winning championships. Right. And you absolutely need that in the East because you need somebody to be able to just throw at LeBron. You're not going to stop him, but you need a guy who's going to be like, all right, you're going to be on LeBron for for most of the game. And, like, LeBron's going to get his. And oh, he's going to he's gonna win the, 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 the Celtics. The Celtics still don't have that guy. No, nobody has that guy. So they're, they're ultimately, I think, going to make the biggest splash of free agency because they're going to do something. They're going to sign someone. They're going to trade for someone. If they sign Hayward and they trade for Paul George, that's dynamite. That I honestly think, on paper, like, Isaiah, Hayward, George, and Horford doesn't really necessarily match the flashiness or the star power of Curry and Thompson and Durant and Draymond Green, but it's the depth of the Celtics that might be able to match, uh, to match Golden State and maybe even put them over the top. Because when you look at the last couple of years, the Celtics have been one of maybe two teams that have consistently been able to play Golden State as tough as anybody else. Right. They've won in Golden State twice, which is, considering Golden State's record the last two years setting the wins record the year before and winning 67 games this year, it's pretty damn good. So the Celtics have all the components you need, and they can do this without necessarily giving up their secondary guys. Maybe it'll take a Brad, one Bradley or Marcus Smart. Maybe it would take Crowder. But again, you'd be replacing him with Gordon Hayward. They would still have Kelly Olenek. They would still have Terry Rozier. So it's Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown. They got guys. And Jalen Brown, yes. They, they have, got guys. But they need, they need a guy, like... You know what I mean? Absolutely, okay. absolutely. That is that was well said. Uh, it's funny, you know. SBNY podcast, Sports Blog New York podcast, Pete Kennedy, Joe Calabrese. We we talk about the Celtics. We've been talking about them two weeks in a row, two episodes. What are, what are we doing? Are we frauds? Or are we just appreciating the interesting aspects of basketball? I love it. I mean, I love talking this stuff. So oh, I love I love talking basketball in general. If you I, are a listener of this very podcast, don't forget to leave a little rating and a review for the Sports Blog Network Podcast, iTunes, Apple Podcasts app, Google Play, the whole nine. Let us know what you think, what topics you like us to cover the most, because we'll listen. We'll we'll talk about the stuff you want to hear, but we talk about what we think is interesting, so hopefully you enjoy it. We love doing the show, as always. And don't forget our presenting sponsor, Wooter Apparel. Check them out. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Wooter Apparel. Don't forget discount code SBNY at your purchase. <sighs> so, is it time to talk about it? Yeah. The main event. Are you sure? I'm sure. I want. I we, like... we gave them a half hour of fluff. No, I was trying to push it off until it was too late, and we forgot we didn't have to talk about it. We got to do it. We got to do it. We got to do it. All right. So, where do you want to start? Phil's gone. All right. Phil is gone. Let's start with that. Let's start. Everybody, take a deep breath. Phil Jackson is not the GM or president of the New York Knicks. Thank goodness. That is most people's reaction, right? Right. Now, I'm going to be here and tell you probably something you don't want to hear. Maybe not you, but maybe one of our listeners. Stop acting like the fact that Phil Jackson is gone means we're automatically going to start winning again. Or that the new guy is automatically going to make the right decisions. Remember who still runs this franchise. Now, I'm not trying to to have a James Dolan conversation. I don't want to have that conversation. But remember, Phil Jackson's gone. Feel good about it. Whether he's here or he's gone, there's a damn long way to go. So rejoice and be glad for today. But there's a lot of work to be done. And we got to appreciate every little move that gets done well. So be happy. But remember, we ain't there yet. <laughs> Just got to throw that out there. 
I got a prerequisite our Knicks talk with that. Is that okay, fair? That's fair. Is that fair? That's more than fair. Okay. Take the floor for a second. Yes. I just need to get that out there. How do you feel? What was your reaction? I felt like this was weeks overdue. Weeks? Yeah. What pissed you off most? Was it the fact that we just did the draft? Is that Did that get to you? That yeah. got to a lot of people. I think the, the Porzingis stuff is really, really, really what bothered me the most. Because when you look at Phil's tenure so far in a vacuum, he's been simultaneously trying to orchestrate two different plans at the same time. There was the plan that the Knicks were going to compete now, and then there was the plan that the Knicks were going to rebuild for the future. Now, the plan that they wanted to win now, including giving Carmelo Anthony not only a five-year contract, you gave him a no-trade clause. Now, if your whole rebuilding plan centered in on life after Carmelo Anthony and focusing on that, then number one, why give him five years? And number two, why give him the no-trade clause? You give him all the power in the world to, to figure out his next destination. Or, as we've seen Melo do, he doesn't even want to leave New York. So That's the most important thing you just said. Because no offense, what you just said before that about Phil giving him the thing, gave him five years, gave him the no-trade clause. Like I feel like I've been, I, we've been hearing this for years. Right. People have to get over that. People have to get over the fact that Mel has a I will no go, trade clause. I will go... The Demo- dude wants to be here at this Absolutely. point. Absolutely. I will go slight devil's advocate, and I will say that if Phil Jackson doesn't give Carmelo Anthony the contract, then right off the bat, then the media is going to crucify him for it. So he was in a no-win situation. So at best, you split the difference. You give him a contract. You give him the five years. You don't give him the no-trade clause. Because then, at some point, if... The shit hits the fan. The shit hits the fan, <laughs> which it did, and the team goes off the rails on his watch, which it did, then Phil Jackson, as like a man, is not supposed to blame Melo's not buying into my system. I have players that aren't buying into my system. You, not, you don't, don't say that out loud. Don't come out and insinuate and hold press conferences and say that, that this is happening because that doesn't. that's not a good look for your organization. It's not good for your players. Ugh. So... I'm over that already. At the very least, if things go haywire, you go up to your star player, you go up to Melo, and you say, I'm sorry, this isn't working here. Unfortunately, I can't make it work for you. Where help, me, help me, work with me here. Give me a couple of options. Give me a couple of destinations. Like, let's work on a trade for you. But wait, you. can I ask you a question? Right. Like, wasn't it, wasn't it a year ago you realized that that's not how he was going to run it? I like didn't we you realize this. that? We knew this. So I like, was I was hoping that maybe maybe he would have like half the complaints that I hear from big fans the, learned on the fly. He to, for somebody who he just started being the GM of this team this right. offseason. By right. the way, he was making moves a little bit. He started being the GM this past offseason. By the way, his primarily focus was on the, the draft in his first couple of years. Yes. So the thing that bothers me the most is when Nick fans complain about these things. That I got, I, I got over these things a long time ago, like the fact that he gave him the no trade clause. Like you just, you got to get over that, man. It happened. Three how about years how about ago. hiring Derek Fisher? That I, I mean, we're <laughs> still paying him, but I ain't paying him. He ain't, come, ain't coming out of my pocket. Like at the time, most Nick fans were saying, "I'll give Derek Fisher a flyer. Maybe he can be a good coach, respectable guy, NBA Players Association, all this stuff. Let's give him a chance." It didn't work out. So hindsight, we're like, oh my God, it was horrible. How did Phil do that? No, that's not how you felt in the time, in the present. So you don't get to just go back and tell him he was stupid. Like, get over it. It happened so long ago. There's now So what about, there's Joaquin, recent what about stuff. Joaquin Noah's contract? That's egregious. That's the most egregious thing What about thing the Derek Rose trade? That was fine. I'm still not mad about that because he's off the books right now. If they re-sign right. him and give him three years, 15 mil a year, then I'll be mad again. That's why that's fired. In, because that's in the present. <laughs> Right. But if they give him another one-year deal for $7 million, I'm like, all right, you know what? I'm not happy about it, but that's at least a reasonable contract. So you, you have to take – you know how we say with the Hall of Fame, you can only be compared to your peers? Right. In the moment, you can only be graded on what's happening and what just ended. Like these things with Derek Fisher, that happened so long ago. Get over it. It's done. Now we have to worry about Neil Aquino working out. He just right. got his knee banged up. We got to worry about – if we get another point guard, so Neil Keenan gets less pressure, comes off the bench for a while. These are the things that are important now. Well, this is what I was telling you before. There are two ways to grade him. You grade him on the plan that he wanted to win now, 
and then you grade him, grade him on the plan that he was looking. He had an eye to this guy for the future, and he was looking to rebuild this team, which started this offseason. When you look at everything he did in the win now, the the, the keeping Carmelo, the tanking his trade value, the trading for Derrick Rose, the signing of Joakim Noah, the signing of Courtney Lee, who admittedly isn't as bad of a player, right? He's a fine, he's, fine. he's a fine role player. But again, he's a role player, and he's being paid to to be the the fifth starter on the Knicks super team, right? Or was rather. <laughs> and then when we look at super what team. he what he did with Melo, tanked his trade value. When we looked at Porzingis, legitimately said we are shopping Kristaps Porzingis in trade talks. And the only other rumors and the only other reports that you got after that started was that the price was so ridiculously high. It, 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 wasn't even worth it. So why that made me feel so good though? Why, and no, it makes me feel good about this. But why even come out in the first place and say we're we're fielding offers on Chris Stapps? You know, no players. You, well, you know the theory the behind that, right? What is that? Giannis, Kristaps' brother, and his team were part of the leak on that story, right? And it, if if it was, it was genius. It worked. James James Dolan got pissed and said, "See you later." <laughs> right. I mean, my biggest problem. Is that in the win now? Everything he did, he, everything he did, was disastrous. There was there was no foresight, and as as a, in, as, a, the team president, what he what he did overseeing all these moves, you have to have a like you have to have foresight. You know what I mean? Like absolutely, and like our man Masai Ujiri, who the next Masai one Masai Ujiri. Oh my God. It would be night and day comparing him to Phil. He went into this thinking he was still a head coach, and he's not a head coach. He's an executive. And it seemed like he just splashed money on certain players. It seemed like he made a trade for certain players that at no real time was were going to help us win now or win in the future. And ev- like everything that he did on that path gets an F. It's. I wouldn't say everything. I mean, that's a, that's a little so, aggressive, but it's so bad. I understand. But everything that he did with an eye to the future, specific trades that he made, drafting and developing certain players, probably objectively gets a B, because he's brought in some really solid. He brought a really solid potential foundation player. And he's brought in a couple of really nice young assets. Porzingis, Hernan Gomez, players. the Justin Holiday little signing wasn't bad. Things like that were right. fine. But like you said, the stuff that he was trying to win with, that didn't work out. But I remember your boy Wally Zerbiak and Alan Hahn talking about Derrick Rose, that trade, when it happened. They say, hey, take a flyer on him. Maybe it works out. If it doesn't, he's off the books. And that's exactly what happened. We took a flyer. It almost worked. And then it went horribly wrong. And now he's off the books. So then you got to see what happens. It worked out almost as planned. But now let's talk about the other thing. The recent word has been the Knicks do not want to buy out Mello. The only way they'd move him is via trade. Seems to see if there's there's some movement with Mello and his people uh, maybe being okay about a trade right now. But my personal take has been like this for a long time, is that Mello's not leaving, and that's not the worst thing in the world. The grass isn't always greener on the other side. At this point, with two years left on his tra- on his contract, what kind of free agents are we using that money for anyway? I kind of like think Melo should just stay. At this, that's point. a good point. I don't think he, he wants to be here. Yeah. We have a guy who actually wants to play for New York. I mean, theoretically, so far, him and Porzingis haven't worked yet, and they haven't really found complementary players. But I think theoretically, well, we're not we, supposed to win this year, right? But I think theoretically, if if uh, my uh, my boy works out. Neil Aquina. Neil Aquina and Porzingis stays healthy, and Melo, like they can push for the playoffs. And, like, oh, see, but that's the problem. You can't think that. I know. You I'm, can't think I'm that. Really, so you're there. You gotta be like the Yankees. Remember how you were with the Yankees this year? You I were said, really reasonable. Before I said they would, season. I said they would win 86 games, which didn't really sound like an un- like that sounded not reasonable to somebody who wasn't a Yankees fan. You were, maybe you were a little bit more. A lot of Yankee fans, especially some we had on this podcast, you and Mike Palmazano, maybe not as much. But we said, all right, they, maybe they could play 500 ball, little upside, little downside. Young players grow. If the Knicks win basketball games and maybe compete near the playoffs, but Porzingis has a really good year, 
that can be argued to be worth it than them being a little worse and getting, you know, the 8th pick again versus the 12th pick, but they actually won games, and they actually saw progress. And Neil Aquina played some big games, and Porzingis grew. Like, you have to balance that out, because everybody falls in love with the tank, and they fall in love with the process, and Hinky and the right. Sixers. And I'm the, one of the biggest Sixer guys right now. I love Ben Simmons. I think he's going to be a stud. Obviously, Embiid, Markel Fultz, we'll see what, he ha- what happens here. But let's, be, let's remember here, Sixers are in year six, Maybe longer of being a bad, bad team. So when do you draw the line of saying, all right, let's still try to win games? Because maybe it'll take our guys just growing, like Bucks style, Milwaukee Bucks, they keep hitting on good picks. They have their stud growing and growing and growing. It's not bad to be slightly competitive, even if you don't, say, make the playoffs. Hopefully you do. But 8 in the draft and 12 in the draft, you can live with that if there's positive signs. Right. And I feel like with this... Maybe even the most important thing of all is that Phil probably stunted the growth of mostly every young player on this team, and he halted the ability of a lot of our best players, simply because he looked at this from the perspective that I'm going to simultaneously do two things at once, and I'm going to let, it's going to be my way or the highway. Like, I'm going to specifically bring players in here that can play the way that I think the game should be played, not the way the game is trending to. I'm not going to collect players and I'm not going to collect assets who will help my team and help the the vision of basketball overall five years down the line. I'm going to play players and I'm going to pick specific triangle-oriented players. I know Oof. I know. everybody is so sick of the triangle. Isn't that great? We don't have to talk about it anymore? No, but I think it's it's the most important thing into understanding Jackson because everything that he did here, right from the, the very beginning, getting, like, his first... You could argue that his first major move wasn't even signing Mello. It was choosing a head coach. And they yes. probably got a little bad luck with Kerr choosing Golden State, but in hindsight, 100 times out of 100... The person's going to choose the Golden State job over the New York job. Absolutely. So, with that in mind, he went to Derek Fisher. Why did he go to Derek Fisher? Not because he's necessarily a good coach and coach candidate. candidate. Not be, not because he's a good X's and O's guy. He chose him because I'm going to be able to implement like the triangle with this team. Like he, like Phil Jackson, looked at Derek Fisher and he was like, "I don't care if you have no other tangible." legitimate qualities about you that can make you a good NBA head coach. You're the guy who played the triangle in my offense. And you're gonna be my puppet years, boy. And you're gonna be my puppet boy and you're gonna be my surrogate to getting this message through to these players. Ooh, and I think that is and I boy. think and I think that is essentially the mindset that he, he had this entire time, right down to the very bitter end when he was fielding offer trade offers on Porzingis. And I think because he tried to make something work so much, because he tried to jam that square peg in a round hole, he never wanted to adopt. He never had oh. the mindset to adopt. He had the arrogance that he like what he believed in was still going to work. That's why I ultimately think he was fired. You know what I got out of that? What did you get out of that? <laughs> he didn't have the mindset to adopt, so he was a surrogate. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy! With that, that was actually great, great points, and those are things that need to be understood. And hopefully, now we can all just forget about it, right? Forget about the triangle. But then, what do we come to? What is next with the actual encore product of the New York Knicks? Let's see Jeff Hornacek coach. We get to see Jeff Hornacek coach for once. He didn't get to coach like Jeff Hornacek. He basically wasn't himself last year because he wasn't allowed to be. Right. He had a fit. Himself into a, a hole Hornacek that he didn't fit into. Won forty-eight games just a couple of years ago with a few point guards and a bunch of scrubs on the Phoenix Suns. And he really played to the strength. And he, trust me when I tell you, I think Horn, like Horny, could absolutely be a good coach here in New York. Very a good, good coach. offensive he's, coach. He's a great off. No, he's not a good. He's a great offensive coach, and he's got the mindset to fit in New York. And he's got the mindset. To get Porzingis going all over the place. Well, I, when I say mindset, I also mean like I think he's a good type of like coach to deal with the media. Yeah, like like obviously you can tell like like Derek Fisher's press conferences were pretty terrible. They were from the perspective of a player 
who got shoehorned into the job of as a head coach. Yeah. Hornich, Horny right now is like, yes, he's a former player. Yes, he's a, he was a good player when he's he played. probably better than Derek Fisher. But... He was better than But he... Yeah, of course he's better than Derek Fisher. <laughs> no, but he, he's coming to this from the perspective of, I'm a head coach. Fisher was like, I'm a player who's going to act like a head coach. You see the difference? It's a good point. Right. But I remember when Hornacek got hired, I went through that Phoenix Suns year offensive highlights. Eric Bledsoe, Brandon Knight, Isaiah Thomas. And then they had the one of the Morris brothers. Uh, they had... Did they have Channing Frye at that point still, too? I don't even... like. They had a bunch of guys who weren't very good players, but they had these... Oh, it was Gordon Drogic, Isaiah Thomas, and Eric right. Bledsoe. And they had them running around. Morris Brothers were coming off crazy screens. Channing Frye was chucking threes because they were just moving the ball, running off ball screens, and it was so fun to watch, and it was impressive. And I, I pictured that with Porzingis, and last year, obviously, we saw none of it. So I'm excited. I hope he gets the reins now. Because if we just fire him, that's another step back. So whether you the way you look at it or not, firing Phil, it at least pauses us for now because right. we have to kind of wait in limbo until our decision makers start making decisions, whoever that may be. If we fire Jeff, that's another pause, which is argument to be said that we're held back because other teams are moving forward. So I don't think it's worth firing Jeff right now. Give him a year, give him the reins, see if he pulls something out of his sleeve. He has proven to do some good things as a coach before. I can't wait to see him actually coach. Right. And the last thing, go ahead. I want to talk about because we're at forty-five minutes now. I'll only do a couple of minutes. So we got Neil Akina here, right? Would you prefer to throw him in the starting lineup, game one of the season? Yes. Or would you prefer just to use this name because it came out today that there was mutual interest, which is crazy that someone had interest in the Knicks? Would you rather a Jeff Teague play starting point guard with Neil Akina off the bench? Every once in a while, next to him. You know what's interesting? What would you prefer for Neil Akina's growth, and in general? For the you know what's interesting? If they go, if they go down that route, um, and they go after a point guard like a Drew Holiday or a Jeff Teague, who kind of maybe does show interest in the Knicks. I don't think they'll land either, or but just for the 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 purposes of talking about it, right? I I don't think it's so egregious with his length that you could play Neil Akina and a guy like Jeff Teague together at the same time. Now, I know Neil Akina's not... Certain good, teams definitely and, match and up ne- well. Right, and I know he's not necessarily playing his natural position, and he's not really much of a shooter. Doesn't His offensive game is definitely a work in progress, and right now his attributes are passing and defending, which might make him a better fit at the one, not the two. But it's something you could definitely experiment with because he's got the length to defend, and it's like hey, having Courtney Lee come off the bench might be a way more palatable option. I think you have a legitimate point guard, and you have, like, let's say your starting lineup is, for argument's sake, like Teague, Nilakina, Mello, Porzinger, Porzingis, and then they, they find some way to land a five, right? Willie Hernan Gomez, my brother. Do you want to start him next year? I think he, I think, uh, you know, he, might, be, he might just be stuck there. It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Nah, defense would struggle a little bit. Defense would really struggle. But, uh, you know, our defense sucks anyway, so right. <laughs> it doesn't well, matter. Well, Porzingis, that's, if he comes into his own, Having him and Nilakina and maybe a legitimate point guard running the show, like those components are there to to improve both ends of the floor. Absolutely, They're, and I think Courtney, more Courtney Lee's absolutely better off the bench. It just depends if there's someone worth starting over him. Right. Uh, but my main point was also from a pressure aspect: Would Nilakina be able to come into the game more comfortably off the bench early on in his rookie season, or will he benefit from getting thrown into the fire? And I think that's a question that you don't have the answer to. So it really depends, because obviously if you do get a Jeff Teague, you're not going to make him come off the bench. So it comes down to who wants to come here. It comes down to um, who the Knicks are able to snag, I guess maybe via some trades or a free agency. We'll see what happens. But you know what the problem is, too? We're already talking ourselves into the Knicks actually playing competitive basketball next year. Right. <laughs> I, no, I absolutely think We're doing it again. No, no, I think they'll be competitive because... What do you mean competitive? You look at teams like Indiana, like... They were in the playoffs this year, but they're going to lose Paul George, and there's no guarantee that they'll be even better than they were this season. They should be worse. They should be way worse. The Bulls. Atlanta's going to rebuild. The Bulls are in total transition period. That's already three teams. Yeah, but Atlanta will still be in the playoffs. That made the playoffs. When you look at the Knicks, their cheap competition next year. Detroit. 
I don't even think Detroit's that good. They're not good, but neither are the Knicks, is my point. And, and, here's, and here's another thing. <laughs> Charlotte's too. in the playoffs this when year. When you look at the Raptors, they're losing both. They're going to lose Kyle Lowry. If they lose Serge Ibaka, Ibaka too, then all of a sudden their second best player is Jonas Valanciunas and Damari Carroll is like maybe their third best player. Terrence if, Ross, baby. Nah, no, Terrence Ross is in Orlando. Uh, yeah, you're right. Norman Powell. Corey, G- Corey Joseph. Norman Powell. Norman Powell? Yeah. You're a big Norman Powell guy? Oh, yeah. Um, so, like, what, what does Toronto do? Does, does Toronto bring back the same group of guys? There's no guarantee they do that. Washington might lose Otto Porter. Washington will 1,000% be, be better. In the top four. Don't worry. No, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, You're right. losing Otto Porter, who really came into his own this season and was one of the best three-point shooters at the start of the season, that, you know what I mean? So, right now, like, we just named four and a half teams that are either going to not be as good as they were last season or kind of like influx, like there are a bunch of different things that can happen that maybe leads to them not being as good. Yeah. Right. So when you look at the Knicks, it's like there's room for them to take that step forward. And then when you look at them... But isn't they, that isn't that the trap we keep putting ourselves into as Knicks fans? We keep saying, that's oh, but, we, but yeah. we might be a six seed, but we might be a, just a seven seed. And then we come out hot and then we struggle and we hate ourselves. That's totally fair. That might happen. But it's like I look at the Knicks and I look at their... When I compare them to the teams like Detroit and Orlando, like I can't see Detroit and Orlando making significant jumps just based on their rosters. Like they have to fair. Or Orlando needs to like I said they need to on a previous podcast they need to trade three or four guys and go get a guy. Detroit needs to just completely blow it up with the dynamite. Indiana's going to blow it up. We just mentioned Chicago. Miami will be better though. Miami will be better. I was just about to say them. So you have to look at the Knicks in comparison to the other teams right well, now. Their chief competition are probably going to be Miami and Philadelphia. Yeah. If they, if the Knicks can come out and hold, like, maybe Philly doesn't necessarily put it all together. Maybe they're too young that, and next year it's still a little too young and incorporating Simmons and Fultz as rookies is too much. Maybe they they may they win a competitive thirty games. Right, entirely possible. I think Miami will be a playoff team. But when you look at the Knicks in that group. Is there really anything significantly different that separates them from like an Orlando, a Detroit, and a Chicago? No, they just sound no. like all teams that aren't in the playoffs. <laughs> Can you? I, we say it every year, and I, I know you. It's you going down the rabbit hole. It's Groundhog's Day, but like they're going to be closer to five hundred next year. I think. I, I hope so, man. I, I just like watching. Some games in Madison Square Garden every year. I get to be excited. I haven't but, been to a Knicks game in MSG in maybe eight years. Oh, they're still ele- they're still electric, man. They're still electric. But you know what the best part is? We have another week, two weeks, three weeks of electric off-season basketball. I'm very curious to see what happens when July rolls around. Um, we're in so much here, buddy. We're almost This weekend, here. man. It's starting up this weekend, so I can't wait. Uh, hopefully, you guys enjoy this episode. Any closing uh, terms for tonight? Um, Phil, don't let the door hit you on the way out. I mean, I'm you're arguably the greatest coach of all time, probably are the greatest coach of all time, but you made a crappy executive. And the reason why you made a crappy executive is because of your ego. So, <laughs> Boom. That's the truth. Phil, if you want to hang out in Montana, hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, this call, is the... call Jeannie Buss. Oh, hey, this is the Sports oh. Block New York Podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy. And I'm Joe Calabruz. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Hopefully you enjoyed today's episode. Have a good one.